You're listening to a Dwell Community Church production. If you'd like to check out more resources, visit dwellcc.org. So whenever you start a book of the Bible and you start any kind of serious study, it's good to get into it and get the background. You, know, you can get a lot just from the introduction, the first verse of any epistle. An epistle is a letter written by an individual, and in these cases, usually to a group of people or a, a city uh, that has a church in it. And so this is uh, a letter from Paul and Silvanus and Timothy to the church of Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. So it helps to know sort of the occasion, the background, the history. Thessalonica is a city in Macedonia. Uh, and we can actually read in Acts, it records the call of God calling Paul to come to Macedonia. In Acts 16, 9, verse 9 and 10, it says, A vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was coming and appealing to him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. We need the Lord. When he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So putting out to sea from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace and on the day following to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia. Now as 21st century Americans, not many of us know very much geography, but what's also notable is these places are real places. This is a pattern and a way of moving that you can trace Paul started out in Syrian Antioch. That's where they began. Traveled all the way across what was in that time, in ancient times, called Asia. Uh, Today we call it Turkey. And he started in Troas, just as Acts says. They got a boat and they took a boat over to the area of Macedonia, which is part of Greece. They landed in the port city of Philippi. They preached the gospel there. That's why we have a letter called Philippians, which is there was a church there. They had all kinds of shenanigans. It was great. There was persecution, imprisonment, uh, earthquakes, and jailbreaks, and a lot of people came to know Christ. And then after that, they walked 100 miles west to a city called Thessalonica, which is why we have First Thessalonians, because another church began there. Thessalonica was a large city in Macedonia. The population around the time that Paul was there would have been around 200,000 people, which isn't a lot by modern standards, but it's a pretty big city in the ancient world. It's named after Alexander the Great's half-sister, Thessalonica. Uh, and it is also of note that one of the things as we study this book you'll see is this is actually one of the healthier, spiritually healthy churches in the New Testament. A lot of times when uh, Paul or James or Peter are writing to the churches, they're sort of pulling their hair out like, what's going on? Why are you doing X, Y, and Z? And this is not one of those cases as much. He's really writing this as an encouragement to them. There was always a strong Jewish presence in the city of Thessalonica up until World War II, where the Germans came and occupied it, exported 60,000 Jews to concentration camps and killed them and wiped out the Jewish population of the city. Thessalonica is one of the few 
biblically named uh, or a, a book is titled after it where you can actually still go there. The city still exists. Uh, it's, um, it's in Macedonia. It's one of the older New Testament books. The book of First Thessalonians, scholars sort of argue about which was written first, Galatians or First Thessalonians, affectionately and, and further mentioned as First Thess from here on out. So this is one of the earliest letters that Paul wrote. And he wrote it either from Athens or from Corinth. It's not completely sure, but it would have been very likely that he wrote it from one of these two places. It's also important to know and useful as you read through this book, unlike James, which we just studied, this is almost exclusively a Greek audience. There was a synagogue there. There was a Jewish presence there, as we'll see. Some of those Jewish people came to Christ. But in this letter... There is no mention of Old Testament figures, Abraham, Moses, uh, Elijah, none of that stuff, and no quotations from the Old Testament, which speaks strongly to the fact that these guys didn't know the Old Testament. They were converts from Greek culture into Christianity. Acts 17 records the establishment of the church, which is worth reading when you introduce a book. So in verses uh, one through seven, he says, now when they had traveled through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And according to Paul's custom, he went to them for three Sabbaths and reasoned with them from the scriptures. Paul was a Jewish man from a Jewish background. He was a scholar and an expert in Old Testament law. And when he arrived at a city, he loved his people. He loved the Jewish people. And he would go there first and foremost to preach the good news of Jesus Christ raised from the dead in the synagogues. And he would often be invited because he was a rabbi and of some renown. And so they would say, come in. And then he would say, I'm, I'm Jewish just like you, but Jesus Christ was the Messiah and you need to believe in him. And it says that he reasoned with them from the scriptures. This is an important tenet of Christianity, important part that we understand that it's not just based on feelings. It's based on ideas. It's based on precepts, concepts, truths, and evidence. And some of the best evidence that you could present to a Jewish audience was to go through the Old Testament with them and show passages that told about the Messiah, told about the Messiah being born around, uh, well, what to us would be one or two BC. Believe it or not, Jesus was probably born before Christ. Let that sit in. Uh, who would be born around that time to a virgin in Bethlehem, showing them passages like that, that fit and locked in the person of Jesus Christ, who was a descendant of Abraham, a descendant of David in the house of Judah. So he was probably showing them all these things and attesting to them, I was once a persecutor of the church, but then the risen Christ came and met me and struck me blind. That's what reasoning with them from the scriptures would be about. It says here that he was explaining and giving evidence that the Christ had to suffer, rise again from the dead, and saying, this Jesus whom I'm proclaiming to you is the Christ. He's probably quoting Psalm 22, Isaiah 53, taking their scriptures and showing them that the Messiah was destined to die for our sins so that we could be forgiven. 
the gospel in the Old Testament to the Jewish people in the synagogues. So he was about evidence. He was about truth. He was about making a good argument. And we says, and it says in verse four, and some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas. So these are Jewish people who know their Old Testament and are like, yeah, I believe. You have explain this to me in a way that I can understand. I'm sure he was answering all kinds of questions. God loves questions. Church is a great place for questions. And it says also that along with the Jewish members, a large number of God-fearing Greeks. Now, just from a historical background, we know that there were a lot of non-Jewish people who went to Jewish synagogues. They were called God-fearers. And these were people that loved the teachings of the Old Testament, that loved the God of the Old Testament, but they weren't quite ready to be circumcised and start uh, abstaining from meat sacrificed to idols and other Old Testament law. They really were into it but they weren't that into it. And so this is another reason why Paul would go to the synagogues would be because there would be not only Jewish people there, but Gentile, meaning non-Jewish people who were seeking after God and believed in the teachings of the Old Testament. We read, but the Jews being jealous and taking along some wicked men from the marketplace formed a mob and set the city in an uproar, attacking the house of Jason. They were seeking to bring them out to the people. And when they did not find them, they began dragging Jason and some brethren before the city authorities, shouting, these men who have upset the world come here also. And Jason has welcomed them and they, are, and they all act contrary to the decrees of Caesar saying there is another king, Jesus. So this is the same kind of attack that Jesus himself underwent. And this is a pattern that we see is the people who don't like the teachings of Christianity appeal to Rome and try to make it seem like Christianity is a threat to the authority of Caesar so that they can get the Christians killed or kicked out. And what we see here, I just want to real briefly outline for you, is an important sequence of events. This is how a church gets born. God gives a burden. Paul had a vision of a man in Macedonia begging him for help. God specifically sent a message to, to Paul to put the Macedonian people on his heart. And not everybody gets a vision, but people do get burdens. We call it a burden because it's like you feel the weight of a truth. God is calling you to do something. And for some of us, that might be to go to another city and start a church and proclaim the gospel. That's something that happened frequently in Paul's life. So someone gets a burden they get a sense from God that he wants them to do something cool, something radical, something difficult, and their answer is yes, and they go. And Paul, we read, was on the road the next day for Macedonia. And then he went to the receptive audience, the people that were already seeking. His first step, stop was the synagogue to speak to the Jewish people who knew the Old Testament and the Greek people who were interested in the Bible. He went there first because they were the people who were actively seeking after God. And as he was there, he was proclaiming, he was reasoning, he was serving, and he was loving them. He was showing them what it's like 
to be a follower of Jesus Christ and the power of what Jesus can do if we ask him into our lives, the way that he can change us, the way that he can orient us towards loving other people and serving them. And the sequence here was he persuaded, they repented, which is an awful churchy word, but all it means is they changed their minds. They did not believe in Jesus and then they decided to believe in Jesus based off of what they saw, not only in the words, not only in the prophecies, but also in the life of Paul and Timothy and Silas. And they decided to become Christians and their lives changed and a church was born in that city. Paul explains this in 1 Thess 1 verse 5. He says, for our gospel, our good news, our message of God's love for you and Jesus Christ dying on the cross did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. And this is so important because what he's saying is, is you guys know yourselves that I didn't just come to you with words. And I think that's one of the problems in American Christianity and why so many people are so turned off, so frustrated and so annoyed with American Christianity is because there's a lot of talk in our churches, but there's not a lot of action. There's not a lot of moving toward people, helping people, being kind to people, loving people. There's a lot of, you should do this, telling other people where they're wrong and what they have to do better. And not a lot of getting down into the aspects of their lives and showing them that they are valuable and they are loved. Now, words are important. You saw, he reasoned with them from the scriptures. He made an argument. Reason is important. Christianity is a faith that is about truth and it has to work. It has to fit together. It has to make sense. It has to correspond with reality and history and the things that we see. But words are not enough. Paul would write to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 13, 1, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. What a great picture that is. If all you do is tell people that they need to go to church, they need Jesus, they need to repent, and you don't love them, you don't show them respect, you don't show them concern, you don't serve them, you don't engage with them, you're just an annoying, loud sound that has no power. And this is not how God wants us to represent him. He says, we came to you in the power of the Holy Spirit, the reality of who God is shown through the way we lived with you. He said, we had conviction. Paul was convinced. He had given his whole life and he wasn't afraid to talk about difficult subjects. He wasn't afraid of their questions. He was passionate about what he believed. He had met the risen Christ. He said, we gave you a demonstration of power the power of the Holy Spirit that might have been healings or that might have just been 
the way that God had changed their lives. He's not specific about it. He says, but you saw how we lived. You saw who we are. You saw the values that we have and the way that we chose to live our lives. And you saw real love. So it was the word and the truth and the Holy Spirit and reason and love and service and character that all went together that caused these people to change their minds. And then, of course, the way a church gets started is all these things happen, and then there's opposition. There's backlash. There's the people who don't like the teachings of Jesus Christ and who are threatened by it. And they were dragged out and accused of being rebels to the city of Rome. He says in verse two, we give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ and the presence of our God and Father, knowing brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you. So he was talking about himself and how they approached establishing the church. But now he's talking about the results and the way that those teachings, the way that their hearts were persuaded, had an impact on them. Faith, labor of love, hope in Jesus' return. These are the three building blocks, components of the church in Thessalonica. And they're three great characteristics that you want in any church. Faith, Hebrews 11.1 1 says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. It's believing what God has said to the point of action. It's willing to change the way you live because you have been convinced by what God says. And there's a process with this that you could think about. Faith really begins with becoming aware of a need. We become aware of the fact, a lot of us, all of us, have a sense of there's something greater than ourselves? Is this all that life is? Is this all that we're a part of? Am I missing something? Is there, is there something I'm supposed to do? Am I valuable? Do I have a purpose? Am I wasting my life? Am I using my life the right way? We ask these questions because we're created with a vacuum. We're created with what scholars have sometimes called a, God, a God-shaped hole. There's an emptiness within us and we're seeking and looking for something to complete us. And we look all kinds of places for that. We look in sex and relationships and success and business and money. Some of us look for it in our kids. We look and look and look to try to make ourselves whole. We consume and consume and consume and it never works. We want something more. We're never satisfied. But none of those things work until we become aware of our inadequacies. We become aware of the fact that we're needy, broken people, that we hurt people that we love, we fail, we fall, we're dishonest. We say terrible things when we get mad. We love to talk down about other people and gossip that we have problems. That we have a need and we have a problem. And once we come to that point, maybe you're here tonight and that's where you're at. 
And if you are, that's a really exciting thing. Because what we're telling you is, this is the answer to the God-shaped hole, to the vacuum. It's Jesus Christ. It's God created you to have a relationship with him. And the only thing that can ever make you full, the only thing that can ever really quench your thirst is a relationship with God. And there's all kinds of evidence for that. There's historical evidence, there's prophetic evidence, there's philosophical evidence, there's scientific evidence. There's all kinds of things. And we're not here to talk about the evidence tonight, but if this is where you are, ask questions. Seek. Look for the truth. I'm not gonna even tell you to look for God or look for Christ. Look for the truth because that will lead you to the God of the Bible. Take an objective look at the evidence before you on the big questions. Who are we? Why are we here? Do we matter? Where are we going? What happens when we die? Those kinds of questions. And God will lead you on a path toward him. Then we get to be around people who have this fullness, this fulfillment, this faith, this relationship with God, and we see it work. They're not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but they have something that we lack. There are people in this room that can show you that just by hanging out with them, just by being around them, seeing how their marriages work, their families work, their friendships work. Observe and look and take it in. And then it's time to make a decision that leads to action. This is faith. To decide, I want Jesus Christ to pay for my sins. I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Not a follower of some pastor. Not a follower of Dwell Community Church. A follower of Jesus Christ. A follower of the Bible. That is the path that God desires all of us to go down. And they had that. That's exactly what we saw happen in the city of Thessalonica. And they believed so much, they were willing to change the way they lived. This labor of love in the Greek is pretty funny. It's to kapos tes agapes. Kapos or kopos is the, is the verb to tire oneself out. And agapes is with sacrificial love. Paul says, I know you have faith and I know you're exhausted by all the loving you're doing. And I love that picture. You are working so hard to love others. You are spent, you're worn out by how much you're doing to love others. The labor of love is hard work motivated by and is a, as an expression of God's love. What happens is, is when God comes into your life, when you realize that he's forgiven you, when you think about all the things that you've done and what you deserve and how you've shaken your fist at God and how you've hurt people and how you've been destructive and God loves you anyway, and you come to really understand that, you come to really realize that, then you come to see grace. You come to see that God loves you even though you have done all of that and it makes you want to love others. And it makes you willing to do crazy things. Spend lots of time with people instead of streaming Netflix. 
Engage with your spouse, engage with your kids, build community, connect with others because you begin to realize the thing of real value here is relationships. And it's hard. He says, this will exhaust you. I think a lot of times we feel exhausted and we feel like something's wrong. We have these busy schedules and these busy lives and we try to fit in home church and men's group and women's group and CT and hanging out and Bible study and reading and reaching our neighbors and serving in the community. And we're like, I'm tired. What's wrong with me? What's, what's wrong with you is you're doing it right. What's wrong with you is it's hard. Now I know Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, but he wasn't talking about this. He was talking about when you go along with me, you'll have joy and your life won't seem hard because you'll be doing things that are worth it. But when you're doing things that are worth it, you're working hard and you feel that, but you're also energized by it. And that's what they're talking about here. They're talking about the principle of loving and serving others and experiencing what it's like to be used by God in all kinds of ways, in powerful ways, and letting it wear you out in such a good way. Let yourself be expended in your love for other people because of God's love for you. It's an expenditure of energy, not from a sense of obligation that will kill it. It'll just be work and it won't be fun and there'll be no joy if you do it out of obligation. But if you do it out of joy and have love as a response for God's love for us, you will be exhausted and you will be fulfilled. And you wouldn't have it any other way. All aspects of love is what Paul is talking about here. Demonstrating God's character by the way that we live. Sharing the truth with people who don't know him. Prioritizing the needs of others. Making time and giving them your energy, your time, your life. Meeting the physical needs of others who have, who have real needs. Whether that's food, clothing, shelter, education, whatever it is. Investing in others, showing them kindness and sacrificing yourself, that is how the gospel spreads. That is how churches are made, communities are formed, lives are changed, and generations of families are elevated to a life of love and community. He says in verse six, you also became imitators of us with the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit. The town's against them. People are dragging them and throwing them to the authorities. But yet that didn't stop them from receiving the word in the midst of the tribulation with joy so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place your faith toward God has gone forth so that we have no need to say anything. These people were so filled with love and joy and sacrifice and giving and serving and being kind and being generous and speaking the truth, their entire country was being impacted by the goodness of their love. Because they believed. 
For they themselves report about us what kind of reception we had with you and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God. There it is again. Faith, you turned from the false gods and the false religion that you were born in and you started to serve. Faith in action. And to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus Christ, who rescues us from the wrath to come. Faith, the labor of love, and the hope in Jesus' return. That hope, this is just a way that the Bible talks, but it, it has a meaning that's, that's broader than just literally Jesus' return. We believe Jesus is literally returning. We don't know when that is, but we know it's happening. But when the Bible talks about your future hope, it's talking about understanding that this life is temporary, not living this life as though physical things are the only things that matter, but understanding that we have an eternal nature and that we're gonna live far beyond the times where our bodies are alive. And that we're gonna live to build up our treasure in heaven, which is our connections and our relationships with each other. It means believing and knowing that God has promised that he will set things right, that there will be an end to pain, there'll be an end to suffering, there'll be an end to death, there'll be an end to evil, there'll be an end to selfishness, and that we will be renewed. Setting our hope in Christ's return means that we are able to suffer through a whole host of difficulties in this life because we believe there's so much more. It means understanding that we'll spend eternity with him and with each other and that we'll live like our time here is short. Yeah, God, we, uh, it's easy to be cynical and to believe that we can't change anything, that we just have to sit back and watch the world crumble and destroy and our fellow man rip himself apart. And we know to a certain degree that uh, the situation is gonna go from bad to worse. But to see Paul's pride and joy and the way that they were impacting their entire nation, we would love to help. We would love to be a source of kindness, of compassion, of generosity. We would love to help people. There are so many people who are hurting right now. They're so angry and they're so divided. And they're like sheep without a shepherd. We don't want to be their shepherd, God. We just want to be your servants. And we pray that you'll help us to move toward with conviction and boldness and the power of the Holy Spirit and to speak the truth in love and demonstrate your goodness to those who are lost. And we pray for a good night hanging out tonight. Amen. Thanks for listening. This has been a Dwell Community Church production.